I'm Natasha Ryan, host of Time to Head North for the North Group's podcast. It is my pleasure to have Emily Rasmussen here with me this week. And when I tell you what she does, you're going to say, Natasha, what does this have to do with security? And here's what I'm going to tell you. Nothing. But here's the great part about the North Group is we are filled with altruistic souls. We love to hear about a good philanthropy and we love to lend our voice or our volunteer time or energy to any philanthropy driven cause or organization. And when I saw yours, I thought, what a cool concept. I just want to hear more about it. Right. So Emily is the CEO and founder of Grapevine. And I am going to let you take over with explaining your mission and your company and your background, Emily. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invitation, Tasha. And thank you all for listening and learning a bit more about uh, Grapevine. We are a home for giving circles and really this broader collaborative giving movement, uh, which is a model where people come together to connect with each other through this process of pooling their donations and then collaborating to decide what to support as a collective. So it is a, it's actually a model that goes back um, decades here in the U.S. and certainly has roots with community-based giving that go back centuries, you know, uh, across, across the globe in all sorts of different communities. But the general concept is that uh, people have been coming together to pool their money and make a bigger difference as a collective within their communities for a long time. And um, what we found is this modern movement of giving circles that started here in the U.S. in the early 80s has been doing incredible work uh, coming together to make a difference, but really hadn't uh, had the kind of support that it needed to, to more easily uh, launch these groups, grow these groups, discover these groups that you might want to join in your community. And so Grapevine started a few years ago in March 2020, actually, to bring this movement online to make it easier for anyone to find and join a giving circle or start their own giving circle. And that can be uh, focused on the community that they live in, focused around a cause that they care about, or even just be um, more broad in terms of where money goes, but be focused more on the membership. Who are we as a community that wants to come together and make a bigger difference as a group? So that's the general idea. I absolutely love this. And before we get into the meat of this and start our Q&A here, tell us a little bit about your background and why you started Grapevine. Sure, happy to share more. We, we, uh, well, we started from this idea actually of um, creating a better version of a crowdfunding experience, if you would. So we wanted to go beyond the transactional crowdfunding campaign and create something that was more purposeful, more connected, and and more recurring, so that both the donors and the organizations or you know the the projects ultimately had a more uh, recurring source of support and impact over time. So that was the high level concept. Um, so I have to admit, when I started this work, I was coming at it from that angle. I I had been in the microfinance sector for many years and then had transitioned into this crowdfunding um, world a bit while I was just learning about technology and how it was coming into that kind of microfinance. Uh, work that I was doing, I got excited about that opportunity to use technology to help unlock funds from communities around the world for communities around the world, essentially. So that kind of pulled me into that space. But as I was exploring crowdfunding, I felt like 
like there was an opportunity to go beyond that transaction and there was an opportunity to do more. And uh, so ultimately that led to this idea of a more community-based collaborative giving model. When we were in our early days of experimenting with that, a few giving circles discovered us and reached out. And so that's really where this kind of magical moment happened where we realized, oh, we thought we were creating this whole other form of you know, crowdfunding, this whole new thing. But no, of course we haven't. People have been doing this for decades and they just need great tools. So it was a, a perfect kind of moment for us to connect with this existing movement. Uh, it happened to coincide with uh, the beginning of COVID. And so, as I mentioned earlier, we, we launched in March of 2020. That was not planned. We were already kind of building uh, in this direction, but uh, but then with COVID came the real need for us to help all of these giving circles in their communities move online so they could continue to do their work during that time uh, where they could no longer you know, meet in someone's living room or go down to the local community hall and pool their checks and then drive them down to the nonprofit. Um, so that really became the focus for us our first year, year and a half uh, working with those existing giving circles, moving them online, uh, and you know, through that process, learning from them and, and building even more tools to support them so that kind of by the end of that period, we had really built an all-in-one solution for any giving circle to easily uh, invite their members in, communicate and collaborate in an online community space, as well as pool their donations, get their tax receipts, and grant that money out to the nonprofits uh, together. So that was kind of that initial initial phase. And then that really set us up for the next period of uh, thinking about, well, how can we help grow this movement now beyond helping those existing giving circles? How do we invite more people in to join giving circles? How do we invite more people in who want to create an impact maybe to think about starting a giving circle instead of starting another nonprofit, for example, right? And um, so we've been doing a lot more work around that kind of uh, outreach and programming and awareness building uh, this being another example, an opportunity <laughs> to bring yeah. this world to more people. Here's here's what I love. So in the and and you may not know this because you're not you know connected to the security industry, but within that industry, I find a lot of community based thought process. Right. So we have a situational awareness training program, and the one thing we preach is like, look, we're a community. We have to work together to keep each other safe. Right. And I love that you brought this idea of community during COVID for continuity purposes online and in, in the security industry where I could see this, this coming into play that could be helpful. I'm just, I'm thinking as we go, right? I told you, I, I never have a scripted set of questions. I just flow off the conversation as I'm, as I'm sitting here thinking about how this could help, you know, in any situation, right? But specifically what I've seen is when something like Ukraine happens, right? There's an invasion and people are sitting in their living rooms going, how do I help? What do I do? I can't give $10,000. I can't give a million dollar donation. Like, what do I do? I mean, is that a scenario where something like Grapevine could come into play? Absolutely. I think, um, yes. And I would say not just Grapevine. Like, keep in mind, we didn't create this model. I would say that's really where this model, this community-based 
movement comes into play. Um, what we found is that people tend to discover nonprofits that they want to support through friends and family, through that next rung of people. It's really through those social connections and discovery that people do learn about organizations to support. Um, you know, there, it's a complicated process. You need to feel motivated, inspired. Like you just said, maybe there's a big event in the world and you're really, you want to do something, but then you also need to feel safe. You need to feel confident that the organization you're going to give money to is a good one, is going to do good things with it. You know, so there's there's a lot going on there. And what we have found, and this isn't just us at Grapevine, there's a lot of research around that, around how people make giving decisions. And it is often through this kind of social proof model of discovery through others. Um, and it's not only about uh, the kind of the social proof piece of it, but it's also about what what tends to get surfaced through community. And so what we often see with giving circles is that they're considered actually in the broader philanthropic ecosystem as a force that is democratizing and diversifying philanthropy because it is engaging a broader community of people, you know, people who might not think of themselves as a philanthropist, for example. I think yeah. there's a lot of hesitation around, am I a philanthropist? I don't know. I donate a little bit here and there, but that's not a philanthropist, right? So what does that mean? Um, and so it engages a broader set of people in thinking about giving back in a thoughtful, strategic way and gives them a real opportunity to learn through others, um, to go through this process together, right? That I think creates a safer space and a place where people can surface great organizations that are doing great work that they know of because maybe they volunteered for them. Maybe they knew someone who was the beneficiary of one. And so often it's these smaller organizations that are um, addressing a broader diversity of causes that maybe have a broader diversity of, of founders and issues that they're addressing um, that can fly under the radar and be hard to identify. They're not going to be the ones necessarily that are you're going to find if you go to Charity Navigator's ranking system, right? Maybe some of them and some of these rankings, and but there's there there's over a million nonprofits in the country, so right. it's very hard to identify by searching a, a database, right? That's why I think the discovery piece is so compelling, and when you couple that with something that's really relevant because it's around a cause that you care about that might be part of this, you know, an issue that's come come up like you just shared or because it's within a community, within your location right there. Um, when you couple that social proof with something that's really meaningful to you, uh, it's a really compelling way for people to, to get involved and um, give more and then also give in a way that uh, can be more thoughtful, you know, because they're learning and collaborating together. Um, the other thing we like to note about that is because giving circles tend to give to smaller organizations, given how many of them are very hyper-local, uh, those organizations tend to be smaller. And so if you're a donor who is giving $50, $100 at a time, but you're doing that with 100 other people, now you're part of a gift that is a $5,000 gift or a $10,000 gift. And when you talk to a nonprofit that has a $100,000 annual operating budget, and they've been in operation for maybe less than three years, that nonprofit is not able typically to get grants even from the local community foundation yet, let alone from a national foundation, right? Bigger pools of capital. So your money is going to go a lot further in those organizations often and can also be a critical stepping stone 
for that organization to get to the next level where then they're eligible for that next um, pool of funds to help them expand their mission. I just absolutely love this because I feel like you're giving people the chance. So I used to be in the news business and we would go stand and, and try to solicit donations for the Salvation Army during Christmas as part of like our booth. I'm specifically thinking of an example in Virginia or like here in Seattle was hometown harvest, um, you know, so mm -hmm. these different things. And what I always found is I was always humbled and overwhelmed by the generosity of people that didn't have a lot of money that dug into their wallet and gave a dollar because that's what they could or $5 that they could. And now you're giving them this identity of being a philanthropist, even though they're not able to match big donor money. I mean, you must hear feedback because, you know, you and I both know like at Christmas, the best gift is watching your kids open presents. <laughs> it's not receiving at this point. Right. So giving the gift of help is is beautiful and you and you're affording that to people. I mean, what kind of feedback do you hear on that? It's it's amazing, honestly, the feedback that we hear. We people talk about having a sense of purpose, having a sense of um, you know, that sense of impact. I think there's a reason we have more than a million nonprofits. People want to make a difference, mm -hmm. people want to do things, right? And um to be able to give people an easy enough way to do that, I think is is really powerful. And um, the feedback has been very compelling around this, around how people feel such connection, right, to the impact that they're having. Um, when I talk to people about their experience, and I'm thinking of one woman in particular in New Jersey where she talked about, oh, we funded this and we funded that. And she could actually point to things in her community or programs that she could talk about. And there was a sense, a real connection. Like, you know, she might be giving $100 or $1,000 at a time, but as a community, she felt very connected to that work. And that work was right there in her community. So she felt um, not only connected to the impact as a giver, but also able to really see and, and almost touch and feel that impact, maybe Literally, in some yeah. cases, we talked about a park at one point. Um, and so I think that's powerful, right? Because when you even if you are a donor who is giving uh, at a at a lower level, let's say a hundred dollars at a time, maybe you're giving a thousand dollars a year, five thousand dollars a year, that can feel like a drop in the bucket, right? That's a term we often yeah. hear from donors. Yeah. It's like a drop in the bucket. Where's my money going? I don't know if it's actually making a difference. And we can't expect our nonprofits to be following up and having coffee to explain things to every donor who gives $50, right? They don't have the capacity to do that. And, and yet we need to find a better way to connect these things so that people really have a better sense of what they're able to accomplish um, when they give. And so I think this is just a really compelling model to help us uh, kind of join those two sides, I guess, in a way that that really makes sense and works works for both. I'm I'm curious because this is so community based and you know network based and friends of friends. How do you recruit people to Grapevine? How does that work? It's a real mix of things. Uh, most of our giving circles are started by community members like you, Natasha, or anyone else who is listening to this. Right, start one. <laughs> you can go to Grapevine.org right now. Um, no, but really, I mean, people every day. Uh, just about our starting giving circles on Grapevine. And, and then they're reaching out to their communities, uh, you know, whether it's 
uh, giving circle, like, um, I don't know, we have all sorts of different ones. If it's a location-based giving circle like Oakland Community Alliance or a giving circle focused on a cause like Healthy Oceans or maybe one focused on an industry like uh, Podcasters for Good uh, or Women in Marketing for Gender Equity, right? These are all examples. And so what people tend to do is they think about this model and how it might fit you know, within a community they are connected to or want to expand their connection to through this model. And they start inviting people in. And what we typically recommend people to do is think about those first five or 10 people who are going to be excited about this and want to join you in this. And then ask them, once, once you've had that call with them, you've brought them in, ask them then to each think of one or two more people, right? And then as you start to get going, each time you come together and go through a granting process, ask those community members to think of one, one more person that they can invite in. And before you know it, you have a group of 25, 50, 100 people, right? And you're moving significant amounts of money together. Um, of course, some of our groups are like just for families. So they don't want to grow. They're a family of five right. or a yeah. of 10, right? So that's also a possibility as well. Um, but then we do a lot of work too on the Grapevine side to help raise awareness, um, to invite people into groups that we think might be relevant for them uh, to do things like this, you know, to just get this model out there into the broader um, public knowledge uh, so that they they know that this is something they can do and they can find a group that makes sense to them, um, you know, by by going to the site and and searching for ones near them or focused on a cause they care about. You've got, you know, I asked you for feedback from the donor standpoint. Um, you know, I'm sure you have probably even more uh, stories about the people that are impacted by these donations? What's, what's the one that sticks out? Like if, you, if you're going to pitch Grapevine and you want to talk about impact, like what's your go-to emotionally heartfelt story that you love to tell? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, it's hard to pick, of course. There are so many good ones, but one organization comes to mind. It's a smaller organization less than 100K operating budget called Undestructible, um, an organization that was less than three years old, struggling to meet their budget requirements, and an organization focused on supporting women, um, specifically those, um, I believe, like a women's shelter and those you know that maybe have come out of domestic abuse situations and others and need some support. And um, to get back on their feet and build their lives, right? And just a really wonderful organization, but one that struggled with getting funding because of just the state of their organization, because they're a smaller budget, because they're a newer organization. So they weren't eligible for a lot of the grants and bigger things that if they just make it to that three-year mark, you know, that can open up a new world for them. And uh, this woman talked about uh, how literally, I think the, the word that she used life-changing this $10,000 gift was. And it was a giving circle in her community and she'd been nominated for it. So it kind of came out of the blue, right? We didn't, she didn't do any work. She didn't have to find a grant application and go through all the time and money to submit and all of that. And that's a big part of the giving circle model too, is really trying to keep the ask of the nonprofits very low. And often we hear giving circles or nonprofits receiving money a check in the mail and that's the first time they've heard they were even up for consideration right and that's kind of the beauty of this model too where some some giving circles will ask nonprofits to apply but a lot of them just want it to be a gift without asking them to do anything yeah. um, 
And so that's what happened here, right? And she got this $10,000 gift and it was, as she said, life-changing, enabled them to continue to do their work and was a critical bridge to that next source of funding and then, you know, ultimately able to keep their doors open. So uh, just a really wonderful story. We actually, uh, in collaboration with a community member of ours launched a podcast last year to share more of these stories. And, and that was a really nice one that was shared out on that. Well, I'd like to meet that podcaster because I share that <laughs> vision. I love telling a good story with good humans. Yeah. Um, so, you know, knowing, I, and I will say, I want to hit on that point because it's very, that means so much when the nonprofit doesn't have to extend any effort to get a donation, right? Because yeah. If you think about the resources a nonprofit has, they're already so stretched that they don't usually, it's usually a lot of volunteerism, right? So you don't have that extra time to fill out those applications and write the letters to get money, right? So to just be handed a gift, what truly a gift, right? So yeah. Emily, from a personal stance, I mean, you helped create this, you helped stand it up. That's no easy feat. You, you rolled with COVID, right? You, you created the business continuity. Mm -hmm. um, how hard was it to get this stood up? And do you ever just sit back and go, yeah, I mean, I did it and this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, to that last question, <laughs> I don't think so. I think the answer there is no, because I certainly don't feel that every day. I'm like, well, I did it. We're done now. You know, <laughs> So much. We're still very much in the doing. There's always yeah. lots more to do. Um, but there are moments that are really wonderful, right? You talk to a community member or someone else who's just, I like you, Natasha, I can see it from the outside and see sort of where it is now as this thing that we've created. Um, and that's really rewarding for sure. And I think it's it's definitely been a journey for us. Like I said, we didn't even know Giving Circles existed when we started. I mean, we kind of started more with this idea of creating a new experience that we wanted to see in the world and then realized, oh, there are lots of other people doing this, creating this experience, but you know, we could collaborate and, and enable that with technology to be much more accessible for a much broader set of people. Um, so anyway, all that to say, I... I um, yeah, I think the journey has been an interesting one and, and a challenging one for many reasons, because we launched on March 31st, 2020, heading into COVID. You know, any startup kind of really getting going during that phase uh, went through a lot of navigating and, you know, changing course and doing whatever was necessary. And um, the economic situation over the last couple of years and just a number of things. But at the end of the day, I think all of us as founders, we have, it's a challenge, right? You just never know what the journey is going to be, but you know, it's going to be a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> yeah. What, what exactly those, those will be. But um, I think, I think as a, as a social impact, like a social enterprise founder, there's kind of a unique set of benefits and wonderful pieces of this because it goes so much further than just the business operations. Um, but also unique challenges, right? Like making the case for why people should fund you from the business side or why people should fund you from the impact side. You're kind of a, a bit of an anomaly. Um, and so going into that, Emily, what, what are like, what's like three, what are three tips you would give someone like starting something like Grapevine, like something you wish you had known going into it, like three pieces of advice, just tips you could give yourself. Oh, that's a great question. Um, 
I'm really good at putting people on the spot. <laughs> Three tips. Well, um, I guess one is just to get started. So if not now, when, right? I mean, I think just that's yeah. great. Just, just do it. Um, there's never going to be a better time, essentially. And the other kind of piece to that is you might as well bet on yourself. I mean, if anything, the world has shown us in the last five years is nothing is reliable or consistent. And um, so, you know, you might as well bet on yourself and your ideas and what you want to see in the world. Um, so, yeah, I guess that courage piece. And I think the second piece is in the social impact side of things for people thinking about this, this world in particular. Um, it would just be to, to really be creative and start with the idea and then work backward to the legal structure and, and all of that from there. I think our legal system and how you set up a company versus an, uh, you know, a C corp versus an S corp versus a nonprofit and all of these things can be a little confusing. And when you're trying to think about building a social impact organization and, um, and so, yeah, maybe starting with the idea and working back from there on the legal structure. But I would say one other piece of advice that I found helpful is that kind of what I was just saying a moment ago about nonprofits, right? It's actually quite hard to get access to philanthropic capital as a newer nonprofit. And so if you are thinking about doing a hybrid model, we have found quite a bit of, um, we found it to be helpful to have both a nonprofit legal structure and a social enterprise C-Corp um, legal structure. And, and actually there are different funders, different pools of capital that both of those unlock at different stages. And so I think, you know, thinking strategically about that, because ultimately to to launch anything, to found anything, funding is critical. It really, it comes back to that. And so I think that's a core part of the consideration. Um, and I guess the last one is just find your people. I mean, your team is so important and think about like, who's the ideal person to work with you on this, to be your founding partner or team members and where are they right now? Like if you need that person to join you in three months or six months, who are they? Where are they right now? And how can you go and start having conversations with them, have coffee with them, build those relationships? Because you know, at the beginning, it's so much. It's just the team. It's just who you and maybe one or two other people that might be willing to go out on a limb with you are. And um, finding them is is a strategic uh, exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And your team counts. You want everyone bought in and in the boat, right? Um, Absolutely. So did you, did you always kind of have a draw, you know, like I, th I think people that are drawn to philanthropy, typically, you know, they always have been right. There's been some sort of volunteerism or cause near and dear to their heart that they're passionate about. I mean, did you from a younger age, see yourself going towards philanthropy? I wouldn't say philanthropy specifically, but social impact related work. Yes. I was always interested in that. Um, so whether it was philanthropy, nonprofits, or it was microfinance, like the previous work I was doing, or you know, uh, social enterprises, for-profit social enterprises, impact investing, just always very interested in having kind of values-aligned, impact-related outcomes to the work that I was doing. Love it. Okay. Now, if people want to hear more about Grapevine, where do they go? Grapevine.org, O-R-G. Yeah. 
check us out there. You can easily, um, if you go there, you'll find an easy way to search for giving circles that you might be interested in. So if you want to find one that's near you or focused on a cause you care about, there's a great feature section and explore um, feature there. So yeah, just kind of check around and see what might resonate. And if you're hearing this and you're thinking about starting a group, whether it's for a small book club or friends and family group or just for a larger thing. I mean, often we see people going and exploring the platform and then going, oh, you know what? None of these quite fit. I'd actually love to start a group focused on this with this community. Uh, we make it really easy for you to start one in just a couple minutes and provide you with lots of resources and um, ways to get that up and going. So definitely take advantage of that. And yeah, let us know if we can be helpful. Uh, we have a great community team at communityatgreatfind.org who's always happy to help you navigate any of that as well. Okay, Emily, I want you to close this out with some words of wisdom on the value of community and generosity and what it does for the soul. Oh, geez. <laughs> what, a big, what a big closer. Um, uh, community and generosity and what it does for the soul. There is, there's a saying, well, a couple of things. I mean, one related to community there's this idea of the five T's and the five T's of giving an, an impact and treasure is one, donating is one for sure, but testimony, ties, um, time, there's another one in there I'm forgetting, but look it up, the five T's. And I think what's wonderful about community is that uh, all of these other opportunities to make a difference, whether you want to volunteer your time, whether you have great expertise in a particular thing and a nonprofit could use that when you give through community with community, it helps to surface these other ways for you to make a difference and engage. And I think that's just really powerful for people to, to go beyond the dollars. Um, obviously the dollars are really important, but this, this model, you know, really enables you to, to do as much as you can. Um, and as you'd like to do, of course, there's no pressure. And I think the other thing is when you are giving in community in this way, you're building your own community. And what more wonderful way to build meaningful connections than to meet other people through this process of, of aligning around what you care about, whether it's a cause or a location and uh, you know, making a difference together, learning about what they care about. And we've seen that, that connection lead to just lifelong friendships, you know, beautiful collaborations, um, even partnerships professionally, personally. Uh, we have some great stories about new friendships that came out of giving circles from members. So it's really a wonderful way, I think, especially at this moment where, look, there's an, a loneliness epidemic, some would say, in the US, right? And so not only do nonprofits need our support, but we need the support of our community. We need the connection with our community as well. It's what really builds a healthy society. And so, um, I think this model gives gives so much to everyone who engages in it as a member or as a um, nonprofit recipient. So, um, yeah, hopefully that inspires some people to learn more. And, well and done. Well done, Emily. Thanks, Natasha. <laughs> okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And thanks to all of you for watching, listening. And for more podcast episodes, you can visit our website, tngdefense.com. Check out the podcast section. If you just want to listen, we're on Spotify, Podbean, and iTunes as well. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you, Emily. And we'll see you soon.